Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting life. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. let's say prayer as we go into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Let it illuminate, let it lift burdens, let it break yokes, um, let it point in the right direction, let it inspire, let it challenge, let it do that, all those things and more, Heavenly Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sweet Holy Spirit, anoint your word, anoint uh, those who are listening and, and let it totally transform lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Well, today we have, uh, we're, we're continuing to part two of uh, a, a night to remember, but that's part of a larger series, uh, the journey into God's promises. And where we kind of ended last week was uh, where Moses, uh, where God came down to Moses, told Moses very clearly that he had seen the suffering of his people, he had heard their cries, um, and that he had come to deliver them. Uh, from the hands of the Egyptians who were holding them in servitude, in bondage, um, as slaves, second-class citizens. And he was coming to deliver them, to take them out of Egypt, to take them into a promised land, a large land, a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land inhabited by other tribes, uh, but God was going to dispossess these tribes and give land to the children of Israel. In a sense, Moses got his marching orders in that scripture, Exodus, the third chapter and the 10th verse. This is God's words to Moses. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out, my people Israel out of Egypt. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And as soon as Moses got those words, he protested. He thought, I don't measure up. You have the wrong person. I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. Why don't you find somebody else? You don't understand my issues. And he went on and on. The Bible records his protestations. In verse 11, he says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God's response to him was simple. I will be with you, God said to him. But then Moses continued protesting. If I go to the people of Israel, he says in verse 13, and say to them, the God of, of my ancestors, our ancestors has asked me to come and take you out. They are going to ask me, what is his name? What am I supposed to tell them? And God graciously responds. When you go, tell them I am who I am has sent you has sent you to them he says and you know i like that name that he gives moses to give to them as the one who sent him in the 14th verse of exodus the third chapter he says i am who i am say this to the people of israel i am has sent me to you now in, in, in giving that name, he says a lot of things. He says, tell them that the self-existent one, the one who needs no one to exist, has sent you. 
Tell them that the faithful one has sent you. Tell them that the one who says a thing and brings it to pass has sent you. Tell them that the one to whom all power belongs has sent you. I am what I have been. That's my past, God is saying. But I am what I am. That's my present, God is saying. I am what I shall be. That's my future. What is God saying? God is saying, I was in control of the past. I'm in control of the present. I will, I am, and I'm in control of the future. That's the God that has sent you to tell the people and to tell Pharaoh that my people must be released to worship me. Now, you would have imagined that with that kind of introduction, Moses would get, get on his feet and off he would go to tell the people and then to tell Pharaoh. You would have imagined that Moses would stop there, right? And, and stop his protestations, but he doesn't. He continues. In Exodus, the fourth chapter and the first verse, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? And you know, God is so gracious. This is just a, a dimension of God. He just meets us at, at our point of where we are. By this time, I reckon you and I would have been frustrated with Moses. That just go and do what I said. But when he says, what if they, what if they don't believe you? What, 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 what if they say, what if they say we don't believe you? God says to him, well, I will give you two signs. When you show those two signs to them, they will believe in you. The first sign, of course, we, we know is, is where, the, where he asks Aaron to throw down his rod and the rod becomes a snake. But he does it first with Moses. He says to Moses, throw down your rod. The rod becomes a snake. He says, pick up the snake by the tail. When Moses picks it up, the, the snake become, goes back to being a rod. He says, put your hand in, your, in, your, in, the, in the pocket of your, of your coat. He puts his hand. His hand becomes leprous. Puts his hand back. His hand is healed. So God says, go and show them those two signs. They will believe that I sent you. Now, don't you think that should have convinced Moses that he better go, that God was with him? But Moses continues his protestations. He says, okay, Lord, yes, all those signs. Yes, I can tell them I am. Yes, you are with me, but God, there's a problem with me which you don't seem to understand. I am not very good with words. I have never been, and I am not now. He says in the 10th verse of the fourth chapter, I get tongue-tied. My words, I jumble them. You don't need to send someone like me to go to speak to the people and to go to speak to Pharaoh. You need someone who is eloquent and articulate and you know, who, who doesn't get as tongue-tied? He says, please send someone else. And at this point, God gets angry with him. Now, it's a situation we see repeated over and over again. Where life circumstances have totally attacked a person's esteem of themselves. Where what people have said have battered a person's psyche so that the person is walking around with within them this notion that they are not able to, they are not up to, they don't measure up. There are so many people who are in that position. And there's so much God has in store for us, but we disqualify ourselves before we even start. The moment it, God puts it in our hearts, 
we instantly disqualify ourselves. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the right qualifications. You don't understand my family background. I have a stigma. I'm from a broken home. The list goes on and on and on. You don't understand what I've done in the past. You know, you don't understand how messed up I am. You don't understand the issues that I have. And instantly we disqualify ourselves. Well, I want you to know that if God qualifies you, then you are qualified. And if I'm speaking to you today, I am saying to you that for the assignment that God has for you, he has qualified you. That all the things that you think disqualify you are actually things that God has put into the picture to qualify you for that assignment. You are able to do it. He has wired you to do it. He has enough grace for you to do it. He has enough power to put in you for you to do it. Whatever God has purposed for you to do, you will do it. You will achieve it. You will reach that destination. And so I pray now against every spirit that has battered your psyche. I pray now against every lie that the enemy has told that you are not able, that you don't measure up, that you don't qualify, that you are an outsider. I pray that all those lies are pulled down now in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that as I speak these words, a freedom, a liberty comes to you and suddenly you know that with God on your side, you can achieve whatever God has said you should achieve in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, finally, Moses agrees because God says to him, go with Aaron, your brother. And so he goes with Aaron, his brother, to confront Pharaoh with the mandate that God has given them that Pharaoh should release God's people so they can worship him. Exodus, the fifth chapter, records that, the first verse. After this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Pharaoh's response in the second verse, is that so, returns Pharaoh, and who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Is that so, he retorted. I want to say to you that in life there are circumstances that speak the way Pharaoh spoke. There are circumstances that just don't want to let you go. There are mountains that just seem not to want to move. There are situations that seem to be speaking back to you, taunting you, mocking you. Who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. I won't let Israel go. Are you in one of those situations where the circumstances are mimicking the voice of Pharaoh? They are telling you, you will not go. You cannot succeed. You cannot cross over. This is your lot in life. Are you in one of those situations where your past seems to want to hold you back? And you're, as you plan for the future, want to go into the future, want to have another chance, your past is telling you, is that so? Well, 
This today, I want to speak into those situations prophetically. I want to declare concerning your life that anything that is rising up to tell you is that so contrary to what pro whatever promise God has made in the name of Jesus Christ must bow to the God that you serve, who is your father. I declare to every situation that refuses to let you go, wants to hold you bound, wants to determine how far you go, wants to restrict what God does in your life, that this God who created the heavens and the earth has declared by his promise that he has a plan for you, a purpose for you, land for you to walk on and possess. I declare that the, you, the, the situation will, will, will face the power of God and give way to the power of God. I declare that your freedom has come in the name of Jesus. I declare that there is no word spoken that can hold you back. That you're destined for what God has purposed for you. And you will achieve what God has purposed for you. I declare that over your life in the name of Jesus Christ. And what was Pharaoh's response? In addition to that mocking of what God had declared. And anything that is mocking God in your life. Today it must bow to God. I declare that you are empowered to walk into what God has promised you. What was Pharaoh's other response? His response was classic. It's classic. It happens all the time. He said to, to, to Moses, the reason that these people are thinking of worshipping God is because they have time on their hands. I will make them so busy that this nonsense of worshipping God will be taken out of their minds. He says, in the 6th to the ninth verse. He orders his slave drivers. Orders the four men. Don't supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves. But you must still require that they make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out. Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. That is Satan's classic response. Every time God is about to move someone, promote someone, do something new in someone's life, Satan comes with the spirits of busyness, with the spirits of toil, with the spirits of distraction, hoping that he can, by the use of busyness, distractions, toil, that he can get the person to take his eyes off God's promises. But what was Moses' response? What was God's response? The Lord said to Moses in, in, the, in the sixth chapter and the first verse, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. Father, for any one of your children who's been held back by the enemy in any way, may the enemy feel the force of your strong hand. May he regret that he tried to hinder, put obstacles in the way, stop, hold back, afflict, your son or daughter in any way. Father, show, O oh God, the force of your strong hand on behalf of your son 
and on behalf of your daughter in Jesus' name. And of course, as Moses left, the encounter started. And you know, I love movies that, you know, action movies. I love them. You know, I love, I love, I love movies that have a fast plot. But I'm telling you, nothing that I have watched beats what is about to unfold. You see, this was a clash of the gods, Jehovah and the gods of Egypt. And so Moses carries the power of Jehovah with Aaron, his brother, supporting him against the gods of Egypt. God showed his strong hand, plague after plague after plague. The intention was to force Pharaoh to let his people go. In the same way, God has made a pledge to you and I and fulfilled it and left it to you and I to enforce it with our words that he will break the backbone of Satan of our lives to set us free. The first plague, Aaron turns and strikes the Nile with his rod. Yes, the Nile. It was a God to them. But as God was now beginning to humble the gods, in the same way that as we journey into his promises, every power that is not of God, that is restricting you, afflicting you in any way, is humbled. Aaron turns and strikes the Nile, the very God that they worshipped, and the Nile turns to blood. The first plague, all the water in Egypt turned to blood. Anywhere they looked, there was no water to drink because it had turned to blood. Pharaoh was afraid when he saw this, but his heart had been hardened. The second plague, at the word of Moses, frogs come out from the river and frogs cover the entire nation. Try and imagine it. Frogs in the house, frogs in their bed, in their beds. The croaking of frogs was the sound that filled the land. The smell of frogs. When Pharaoh saw this, Pharaoh was afraid and asked Moses and Aaron to pray to God to remove them and he would let them go. And they did pray to God. God removed them. But Pharaoh refused to let them go. God gave further instructions. Aaron turns and strikes the dust with his rod. And suddenly a, a, a plague of gnats, bugs, fills the land. When the Egyptians see bugs everywhere, bugs in their homes, bugs in their houses, Bugs in their bedrooms, bugs every single way, every single place. The Egyptians say to Pharaoh, Exodus 8 verse 19, this is the finger of God. Oh, may that situation be touched by the finger of God. May those circumstances be touched by the finger of God. May the enemy feel the finger of God. The finger of God is euphemism for the power of God released into your life. But Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He wouldn't listen to them just as the Lord had predicted. The fourth plague is released. The plague of flies. But then listen to what the Bible says as an encouragement to God's people. Exodus, the eighth chapter, 
the 22nd to the 23rd verse. But this time I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live. No flies will be found there. Then you will know that I am the Lord and that I am present even in the heart of your land. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. Flies everywhere in the land of Egypt. But in Goshen, where God's people lived, not a single fly. God says, I will make a distinction between my people and the rest of the people. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He will make a distinction between you, between his children, between his elect, between his chosen, between his church. He will make a distinction between you and the rest who are not yet his own. He has to make that distinction. But the, the, the battle continues. The fifth plague, the death of all livestock. And you know, by this time, you would imagine that Pharaoh would let them go. But you see, Pharaoh's heart was hard. Pharaoh was evil in the same way that our own adversary, Satan, because remember, it's types and shadows. Our own adversary, Satan, is hard-hearted and evil. All the livestock in the land was going to die. That was the fifth plague. And die they did. But the Bible records in Exodus 9, the ninth chapter and the fourth verse, that the Lord made a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and that of the Egyptians. Not a single one of Israel's animals will die. It gives us a platform to say, God, make a distinction. Let your protective hand rest upon us. The sixth plague, Moses gathers soot from the king and throws it into the air and the soot as it comes down brings boils upon everyone in the land boils upon the highest in the land and the lowest in the land did pharaoh relent absolutely not the seventh plague arrived the bible says in exodus 9 verses 15 to 16 by now i could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth god says but I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power or to show off my power through you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. Why does God allow certain challenges to come the way of his children, certain difficulties, obstacles, mountains? He allows it because God is going to use it to glorify himself. I want to say to you that what you're going through is going to glorify God. By the time he shows his power, by the time he turns it around, by the time the test becomes a testimony, it will glorify God's name. He says, Pharaoh, I could have destroyed you, but I have left you because I am going to use you to glorify my name. My fame will spread all around when people say, see what God did to Pharaoh. That's going to be your testimony. I join my faith with yours. That situation is going to turn around. That circumstance is going to change. That door is going to open and it will glorify God. That sickness will bow and God will be glorified. That dark situation gives way to light and God is glorified. Moses lifts his staff towards the sky and God sends a hailstorm like has never been seen upon Egypt. Pharaoh's officials now come to Pharaoh, Exodus 10 verse 7. And they say to him, how long do we have to endure this? How long will this man hold us hostage? Let them go so they can worship their God. 
Egypt is in ruins. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. Moses and Aaron go back to him. And he says to them, okay, you can go and worship the Lord your God. But who is going with you? Moses replies in the ninth verse of Exodus, the 10th chapter. We will all go, young and old, sons and daughters, our flocks and our herds. We must all join together in celebrating the festival to God. Pharaoh's response, the Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plan. Never. Only the men may go and worship the Lord since that is what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. <laughs> the battle is heating up. Then the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the land of Egypt to bring on locusts. Let them cover the land and devour every plant that has survived the, the hailstorm. So Moses raised his staff, his rod over Egypt. And the Lord caused an east wind to blow over the land all day and through the night. When morning arrived, the east wind had brought the locust, and the locust swarmed over the whole land of Egypt, settling in dense swarms from one end of the country to another. It was the worst locust plague in Egyptian history, and there has never been another like it. When Pharaoh saw the calamity of the locust, the Bible records that he quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. His words to them, I've sinned, I've sinned against your God and against you. Forgive my sin just this once. Plead with your God to take away this death from me. So Moses and Aaron left his court and they pleaded with God. And God responded. He caused the wind to shift and the wind blew the locusts into the Red Sea. But then Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He refused to let the people go. The ninth plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward the heaven. And the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. And finally, Pharaoh called for Moses. Go and worship your God. But leave your flocks and your herds behind. You can even take your young ones, but leave your flocks, your flock and your herds behind. What was Moses' response? Exodus 10 verse 25 to 26. No, Moses said. You must provide us with animals for sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord our God. All our livestock must go with us. Not a hoof can be left behind. We must choose our sacrifices for the Lord our God from among these animals. And we don't know how we are to worship the Lord until we get there. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Get out of here, Pharaoh shouted at Moses. I am warning you. Never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Listen to Moses' response. And you know, when God wants to do something with you, he changes your person. This was Moses who was timid. This was Moses who, who said he didn't have what it, what it took. This was Moses who was seemingly afraid. But listen to Moses' response. Calm, cool, and collected. Very well, Moses replied. I will never see your face again. That was the final straw. Everything had been set in the heavens. The cup of Pharaoh was full. The cup of the Egyptians was full. All this was a prelude leading up to the final plague. I want to say to you that 
Satan's cup concerning you is full. This is the time that God is judging. He's judging the spirits that are arrayed against his children. I want to say to you that like Moses, let us rest in the Lord. It is not, a, it is not by power or by might. It is by his spirit. I just see Moses calmly speaking back to Pharaoh. And that's the way we speak back to the enemy. We don't speak our own words. We speak the word of God. He says, very well. You want a battle? You have a battle. I will never see your face again. The tenth and final plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 11 verse 1, I will strike Pharaoh and the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. They were given instructions. Instructions whether they should find a lamb or a goat. Each family. But then if the family was too small, they should share it in the sense of community with another family. I think that's significant. It points to us as a church being a family where we look after each other, we share with each other. Because don't forget, the story I've told you happened in real life. But don't forget that it's a type and a shadow of what we are dealing with. We have our own Pharaoh. His name is Satan. He has his own taskmasters. They are the evil spirits that serve him. The organized hierarchy of wickedness that Paul highlights in Ephesians 6 verse 12. They have their own plan. The same way that Pharaoh had his own plan. To hold the children of Israel in servitude, in bondage, in slavery. To ensure that we can't go out and worship God and receive the benefits of a relationship with God because we are held bound in the darkness of slavery. But God had a plan for the children of Israel because he wanted to take them into a land that was spacious. God also has a plan for you and I because he wants to take us into our own land that is spacious. Their land was physical. Our land are the promises that God has for us. And so he gives them instructions. Get a lamb. It must be a year old. It must not be without blemish. He gives them instructions as to how to kill the lamb. He gives them instructions as to how to eat the lamb. He gives them specific instructions as to how to dub the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the lintels of their home. Listen to what he says. Exodus 12, verses 12 to 13. On that night... That memorable night. I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. He will execute total judgment. He goes on to say, I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. He says, I will execute judgment against the gods of Egypt. And I want to declare that on the back of this word, judgment is executed against all the spirits that are on assignment from the pits of hell 
to stop you from entering God's promises. Father in heaven, I'm asking that you will honor your word in the life of your son or your daughter as they receive it by faith, the currency of our kingdom, to execute judgment against anything, anyone, any spirit that is holding them from entering the promises that you have made to them. It was a night to remember. His instruction to them, you must rehearse this from generation to generation, celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. And that night, the Bible records, Exodus 12, verses 29 to 30, and that night at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn son of their livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night and loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. But for the children of Israel, as the angel of destruction roamed the land, when they saw the blood, on the homes of the children of Israel. They had to pass over. It was instructive that they were giving very clear instructions. Stay in the house. How, what, how does that apply to us? Stay under the blood of Jesus. Our obedience is the key to God fulfilling his plans and purposes in our lives. Our disobedience brings us out from under the covering and the consequences can be dire if we don't obey the instructions to stay under the blood. God, the covenant-keeping God, had kept his promise. The Bible records in Exodus, the 12th chapter, the 40, 40, 40th to 42nd verse, the people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year that all the Lord's forces left the land. Oh, please, can I say to you, if you forget everything that I have said, the God we serve, our Father in heaven, is a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. If he made that promise, he will keep it. On the last day of the 430th year, the night to remember took place and the children of Israel walked out on the last day, 429th day, the night to remember, 430th, the, the exact day where it was 430 years, they walked into freedom out of Egypt. The Bible goes on to say, on this night, the Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. So this night belongs to him and it must be commemorated every year by all the Israelites from generation to generation. Do you know that till today, in the 21st century, the Jews, the nation of Israel, commemorate that night. It was the night of their deliverance. Now, as I end, that deliverance centered around two things. A lamp 
and the blood of the Lamb. It was a type and a shadow of a future battle. Their battle was plague after plague. Our battle culminated in a cross on a hill far away, an old rugged cross. A battle between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. A battle between our Lord and Savior and Satan. And they didn't realize the strategy of the battle. The strategy of the battle had to do with a yieldedness and obedience and a submission. It had to do ultimately with love. He won the battle by his love for us. He gave his life, our own Passover lamb, and shed his blood, not the blood of a lamb, and that brought some amazing deliverance, but the precious blood of the Son of God. The blood of God himself was shed for you. And listen to how the Bible puts it. Our own deliverance, our own night to remember. For them it was a night, but for us it was an afternoon that we remember where hanging on the cross, he finally gives up the ghost and he settles it with these words, it is finished. Listen to this as I end. First Peter, the first chapter, 18 verses 18 to 20. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Yes, it was an empty life. It was a fruitless life. It was a futile life. It was a life that would eventually end in an eternity separated from God. It was a life where we were under the servitude of our own Pharaoh Satan, a life where we were trapped in addictions to sin, a life where darkness was the norm, a life, a life that had no hope, no future, a life where we were spot for the enemy, a life where we were destined to fail. Yes, it was a fruitless, futile life. But God paid a ransom to save us from that empty life. And it was not paid, the Bible says, with mere gold and silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Well, I hope this morning brought some more revelation of him as our own Passover lamb. I hope it brings some revelation about the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of a lamb rescued them from destruction. How much more will the blood of Jesus Christ do for you and I? The blood of Jesus Christ was the price that was paid for you and I. It was a price that was paid with a lot of pain. And once that price was paid, we were ransomed, we were bought back, we were redeemed into God's family. And so now we are children of God. We have him as our father. We are part of the family of God. We are in the household of God. God has total control over our lives. That's our own final plague. It was on a cross, on a hill far away, on an old rugged cross. That's where our victory was won in the name of Jesus.